0: Folks, it's your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building, episode 72 of the Be More Today Show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building, and folks, it's just great that we are still doing this thing. Be More Today Show has uh, grown and progressed in this season, season two of the show, and it's been great. Uh, we're bringing on great people who are just talking about amazing things, again, ordinary people, extraordinary things, and as we continue to mold this podcast more towards health, um, it's been awesome bringing on some superstar uh, uh, presenters, just talking about their crafts, talking about the things they've been doing, and how they're using health and fitness to enhance everyone's lives. As you guys may or may not know, we More show is heard in 39 countries, and we're trending, trending, trending everywhere, so please... If you have not done so already, go on our, our pages. Be More Today is on Instagram, so on Facebook. We have a YouTube page. Go on there and subscribe. Do it right now. Subscribe, 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 and you'll get more content about workouts, uh, information about my book, the Be More Today book, which is out there on Amazon in Kindle version and in paperback form if you want it, bookcom Please check it out. It's a great book for you guys just to... Go out there and hit your steps to greatness to be the best versions of you. That's our main platform. So we've been doing and pushing since day one. So we appreciate all your love and support. And if you do want to show us some more love, you can go on our page and subscribe to the page and support our page as well. Uh, The quote for today is simple as always. And it's talking about self-care. Self-care has been a big topic in the media, more nowadays than usual, but not a new topic for us to talk about. So the quote is, self-care is a process of intentionally, consistently, and unapologetically engaging in enjoyable activities that help you manage stress and recharge your mind, body, and spirit. This is an act of self-love. Uh, folks, like I, I, can't, I can't lie to you. I, I only really, in the latter part of my life, have begun to really appreciate the concept of self-care. Um, although I'm a physical therapist and I literally care for people every single day, I rarely take time for self-care for myself. And you know, if it's not working out, working out is a form of self-care and I do that. I do that pretty often, but there was a time in my life, especially during COVID-19 or quarantine, when there was no time for that. And I won't know, I can't say that. I didn't make time for that. Um, because I was so focused on work and focused on numbers and, you know, we were so down and, and, and there were so many things happening and the job became more of, of a lifeline than life itself. And, you know, my, my, um, my lines for using self-care, even though it was just related to fitness, even that was taken away because I didn't really cherish that and put as much time as, that, as I should have. And I found myself drowning. I found myself not really, Liking my job, you know, being kind of angry and mean uh, at home. And I just found myself kind of like just floating in the wind, not really appreciating all the things that I had done to care for myself before uh, COVID 19 hit. So, you know, as we're now coming out of this and getting back to a sense of normalcy, I've taken my my self-care up a notch and gotten back into my working out and doing those kind of things and recognizing that my five o'clock morning runs are really self-care for me. I like running in the morning when it's quiet, when no one's out there, it's my thing. And I'm looking to branch out more into other self-care areas where, you know, whether it's just me coming home and not doing work, which for me is self-care. I'm not, I'm turning things off, right. And, and, and giving my, my family and more of me and giving my friends more of me and more of my time and and using uninterrupted time towards that, but finding other ways to really use self-care like vacationing, like getting massages, like carving out time just to get back into these books and back into reading and just finding ways to literally give yourself the care that you need. Um, It's something that we all can do and I challenge you. If you're someone like me who has been always on the move and always on the go and not really giving yourself the self-care that you need, or, or that you know you deserve, um, make time, right? Don't just say there's no time. There's always time. We make time for everything else. Make time this week to make self-care uh, an, an important thing for you. And my guest on the show today is a supporter of that, clearly. Um, she's actually a great friend of mine. We've danced together. We've run together. Um, she actually wrote a book, a chapter in my book, the You Today book, um, on self-care. And her name is Keitha. Rodin. Now, Keetha Roden, if you guys did not know, graduated from the City College of New York uh, with a Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology with a minor in Psychology and decided to pursue a Master's degree in Social Work at New York University, NYU. Since graduation, she has been practicing Social Work in Brooklyn. Now, she's a Social Worker, and that's her chosen career, and she uses her strength uh, as a based trauma-focused developmental anti-racist perspective in her practice. For 14 years, her professional focus has been on children, youth, and families, and mental health services in community and school-based settings. Currently, Keith works as a mental health specialist with the New York Department of Health and mental hygiene in public schools, where she promotes all things mental health through presentations and discussions with teachers, parents, paraprofessionals, and administrators. She enjoys working with children and families in her church community, in a youth and a youth-enrich program for children ages five to 10, And as a member of the church's health ministry, which I'm a part of as well, uh, she periodically promotes mental health with articles for the weekly newsletter, which have been really, really productive and very, very informative for our church. Uh, Keita is also an active member of Spartan Sundays Running Club, which I'm also a part of, and has completed Spartan races and other races of various distances up to half marathons. This year, she will be completing the NYC Marathon, with a group of her fellow Spartans, Aru, Aru. Kita has a love-like relationship with running and has become one of her favorite and most uh, precious self-care practices. Now, as a mental health and self-care ambassador in different spaces, there's one saying that reminds her of the importance of promoting self-care. You can't pour from an empty cup. She believes that everyone must take self-care of themselves first before they can give of themselves to others. And engage fully in social interactions, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included. Please welcome to the stage my guest for episode seventy-two of the North Day Show, Keitha Roden. Keitha, what's going on?
1: Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. Um, thank you so much for um, that great introduction, and I'm excited. I'm excited to get into the conversation today.
0: Yeah, no problem. Listen, I've been trying to get you for a long time. You've been avoiding me. Let's just be honest. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you you made time for me today. And it's very uh, timely, you know, because self-care is something that's been talked about, I think, more now than ever. Now that we've all gone through COVID-19 and quarantine and we've all seen all these different things that have happened to our world, not just our community, but our world over the last 18, 24 months, Um So I wanted to bring you on because I know you have a wealth of knowledge talking about this. And, you know, we've connected through so many meetings that we talked about earlier with church and signs of praise, our dance ministry and Spartans. And again, you were at my book launch because you wrote a chapter in my book, which if you guys haven't gotten yet, please check out that chapter and check out the book as well. It's very, very informative. But I want to talk to you about social work because you've been practicing social work for a minute now. And I was always curious. I never even asked you, you know, why did you choose social work as your profession to begin with?
1: Okay, so I'm just going to start off with a little poem, if that's okay, just to set the stage for what social workers do, because social workers do so many things. And this actual poem was something that also motivated me earlier on in my career to kind of pursue social work, because it's such a flexible career, and it's a career where you're able to do a lot of good. Um, Whether it's with individuals, with families, um, with communities, um, with society in general. Um, So I just wanted to share this before I jump into why I chose social work. So I am a basic positive change agent a client advocating, injustice fighting, therapy providing, systems testing, family preserving, social consciousness raising, data collecting, rights protecting, child defending, staff developing, human assisting, strengths-focused social rights championing, ego lending, crisis intervening, teacher, facilitator, encourager, supporter, and leader with professionalism, integrity, concern, empathy, values, love, trust, honesty, and warmth, social worker. So that's, uh, I think it's an awesome poem, and I know that I just said um, a lot, but that's pretty much a synopsis of what social workers do. Now, I'm more um, a clinical social worker, so I do a lot of work um, around mental health. Um, but there are social workers that work in different areas in society, whether doing research, whether doing um, direct practice with children and families, um, substance abuse, also um, just the various um, there are various areas where social workers can utilize their skills. Um, and I am more on the mental health side. Um, there are social workers that also engage in policy work and also research as well. Um, So let me just tell you a little bit about my story. So as everyone else, I was a little confused as a young adult as to what I was going to do. So I tried the sciences. Um, I was thinking about becoming a physician assistant. I thought about becoming a pediatrician at one point, Um, but I I tried the classes and they did not work out for me. Um, It was a hard shift because I had um, transferred to City College because I wanted to get into the PA program at Harlem Hospital. And when that didn't work out, I felt a little bit down about that. But then I, still, I kept taking the core classes that I needed, um, and it included sociology and psychology classes. So I enjoyed those classes a lot. So along the way, I kind of got interested in counseling. As I was taking psychology classes, I wanted to actually do an applied profession because I didn't want to just do research. And I know in psychology, we do have, um, uh, there is space to do ca- a lot of counseling, But if it is that you do want to go on for like a master's or a PhD, you might do a lot of testing as well. Um, And I I, I wasn't sure if that's something that I wanted to do. Um, And then I took a principles of social work class um, as an elective. Um, And I was so taken by the way that the class was um, actually taught. And the professor had us do an, um, an actual assignment where we went to someone that cared about us or someone that we knew. To ask for help, right? And we interviewed this person and then we kind of processed the way that we felt kind of receiving help from this person. Um, I interviewed my dad and uh, I did well in the assignment and I was just like, you know what? I think I wanna um, dive a little bit deeper into social work. So um, I chose to take, uh, after graduation, I took a class at Hunter um, College. And I think that really solidified my decision to go. It was a policy class and they talked a lot about race and racism and systematic issues in society that keep um, that oppress um, people of color and um, as a person of color that did not um, grow up in this country because I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago and I just had a different perspective on issues around race um, but when I took that class and, and and I realized that in this country it just meant something different than what it did where I came from and I just felt really like I wanted to learn more. So that's why I decided to go into social work, not only for the counseling part of it, because I was interested in that, but also the perspective that social workers hold in terms of the person and the environment and how the environment impacts on the person, how families impact on the person, how communities impact on the person, how society impacts on the person. I love the flexibility of the MSW degree, even though I have chosen to stay within the clinical realm for this part of my career, um, I know that I can do so many different things. Um, and yeah, so that, that's pretty much my story. Um, I did have to make a couple of shifts. Um, I used to work at an outpatient mental health clinic. Now I work in schools promoting mental health as a mental health ambassador. So I've done social work on two different levels and I'm still pushing forward with social work.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, my dad's a social worker. I, I have a number of friends who are social workers. My first job was working at Mount Sinai Hospital and I was working with social workers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just funny that, you know, I, I'm not knowing too much about it before, but recognizing how integral social work really has become for our society. Whether you're getting physical therapy or whether you're, you know, a school aged kid and, you know, going to classes, social workers are there and they're advocating and they're, they're looking for people to get all kinds of resources and anything that they need just to make sure they can get through their whatever, their day at school, their day at the hospital, whatever, safely and, you know, in in a good manner. So I really appreciate it. And I respect you guys, you know, with the utmost respect, because it's really a part of the healthcare system that I don't think gets as much credit or Mm -hmm. as much support as as it should, um, where it's so integral in terms of, the self care component of people and the, and their ability to comprehend and deal with the thing that they're going through, whether again if it's a regular school day or a traumatic event. So, yes. I salute you, Ketha, and I think the work that you're doing is fantastic. And you know, I want to bring you on in particular because this concept of of, of mental health and self care has been so instrumental, especially for our young people who for the last 12, 18 months have just been in this weird school situation with this pandemic, right? Um, and I know you've been working with the DOH right now. What are some of the initiatives or some of the tips that um, have taken young people who are going through these stressful times with school, with, with uh, COVID-19, with virtual learning? Um, what are some of the things that you've seen or some of the tips that you've given to some of your students in how to deal with the upcoming school year and how to deal with the the way the school has been uh, consistently changing every single day.
1: Okay. So I just want to speak a little bit about the initiatives that are actually moving forward with DOHMH. And I'm I'm just saying a disclaimer here. I'm talking about my programs in specific. We're not in every single school in um, New York City, but we do provide um, a certain level of service to um, a couple of schools that are in the five boroughs, um, we pre-COVID, we actually had more schools and now we have a smaller um, case load of schools and we're doing more student-facing work now. Before we were doing more um, pre-COVID, we were really like connecting schools to like community resources. We did a lot of trainings around mindfulness, um, stress management, um, self-care 101 for teachers, mental health 101 for parents and teachers, um, emotional first aid as well, like helping teachers be able to de-escalate a situation if a student does get triggered or becomes difficult, um, crisis preparedness as well. Um, and this is something that we were doing, like I said, before COVID even happened, and, being, and trauma-informed practices in schools, like understanding what trauma is and how it could impact on academic achievement, right? So there's a foundation that's already set, um, that was set before COVID, and we're pretty much going to be building on this as we progress into the new year. Um, This has been a very difficult year um, for um, my program and also for the schools that we support, but we've been pushing forward. Um, My program spent a lot of time during when the pandemic first happened and schools closed, providing a lot of um, resources to the schools, especially addressing the issue around grief, um, not only within um, staff, but also with, um, the what the families were experiencing as well um, and providing just a lot of support um, to um, teachers, maybe through, through trainings. We did a lot of like virtual trainings as well because we weren't able to go in person, but our work did not stop. We continue to su- support our schools. Now, post COVID, Um, we started doing more student-facing work, like I mentioned. So we did um, classroom push-ins for my schools in particular. I did do classroom push-ins with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students for one of my schools. And we we were just trying to create community for the students that were strictly online. Because the students that came into the building, somebody had eyes on them. Um, But the students that were at home... They, their administration felt like they needed a little bit more support. So I did um, classroom push-ins around um, mindfulness. We always started with like a mindfulness practice, like deep breathing, um, a body scan. Um, and then we jumped into different discussions around stress and how it impacts on our bodies, um, normal reactions to stress, coping skills, um, looking at um, your community and who's there for you, um, even though it's in, it's in a virtual space, just help helping students understand that help seeking doesn't stop because you're home. Like if it is that you do need assistance, there's still a school community and administrators and teachers that love you and are available. Um, There's school counselors that were available, the school social workers that were available. So just pretty much in those classroom push-ins, helping the students understand that resources were still available. Also, we worked with um, parents as well, with parent chats. Like before COVID, we did more like parent workshops But after COVID, we realized that people just needed a space to talk about what was happening. A lot of parents, this is the first, most parents, this is the first time that they had to do the online learning. And it was not an easy thing for a lot of people, especially if you have more than one um, student in the home. There was a lot of hiccups with getting technology to students at the very beginning. Um, Parents were getting sick as well. Um, the schools being concerned about being, you know, being able to keep in contact with students, um, even though um, they weren't in the building, they, they needed that connection with students, but it, it, sometimes it was a challenge. So we spent a lot of time cultivating spaces for parents to kind of talk about the challenges that they were having with remote learning and other issues around um, you know, their students, their kids being at home and not being in the school building. Um, We also started doing um, a trauma group. Now, these are just for students that were specifically impacted by a particular trauma. So it's based on um, the SETS sets curriculum, supporting students exposed to trauma curriculum, but we did call them RISE groups. And what we did is that we um, selected and screened a couple of kids that had challenges and we worked with the school counselors on this initiative as well. So they knew their students very well. So they were able to pinpoint students that they thought could benefit from it. And this particular intervention, we we did a really deep dive into um, what trauma is, normalizing a trauma reaction. If it is that you have some kind of traumatic event that happened to you, it's okay if it is that you have flashbacks. It's okay if it is that you feel multiple feelings about the incident um, and kind of walking through um, how to manage those difficult feelings that might come up the fact that even though the incident is over, it may not be over in your mind. So you may have challenges there um, by being triggered by certain things. So we kind of took a deep dive, even as deep as like the trauma narrative um, and what exactly happened. Um, For some um, um, consultants in my program, it was um, easier um, to do these types of groups and other, um, consultants were not able to do these groups, but it is something that we did offer across the program. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that um, there are, there is a foundation already in um, the schools that I provide services to around um, grief and trauma and coping skills and stress management and stress management and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And also, my program did a lot of um, promotions around help seeking so that students know like where to go for help. So there were posters all over schools with the names of the school councils on there. These are the people that you need to to, to, um, to talk to if you need assistance. And of course they had posters in K through um, 12th grade. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all uh, through all the schools had these posters. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also will continue to provide these services. Um, when school opens, the plan is for us to return to the building and provide support so our schools, even though our caseloads are smaller, um, we're still able to still provide some intensive services to the school that we the schools that we do serve. So it's not all schools, um, but I do know that there's a consensus among educators and mental health professionals that students are going to be returning to school with issues around grief, around some trauma, um, gaps in social skills as well, and some anxiety. Right, so we. I, I'm, I'm really confident that the, the Department of Health and the Department of Education are going to work together to continue to provide this support to all schools, um, not only the schools that are in my care, and that's a part of my program, um, but we wanna make sure that we're using a universal proportion approach, meaning that we don't know which children were traumatized per se, because sometimes families don't share, honestly and um, students in that share as well. Um, so we wanna make sure that we, the perspectives that we're using, we're promoting social emotional learning, whether it's through a program or through different types of activities that happens during the day. Like for example, mindfulness is a social emotional learning um, uh, activity. So sometimes um, we do encourage all our schools that are enrolled in our program to be a part of the actual social emotional learning Um, program like Sanford Harmony or RULER, um, mindful schools, Um, but there are some schools that prefer to integrate it into their curriculum by using different activities, but it's the consistency that counts, right? So it's really important that it's a part of the school community, like the students expect it every day right? Just like they expect math every day, they expect that we're going to do some level of mindfulness every day. And that's kind of like the culture that we wanted to kind of cultivate within the schools and reminding the schools that it's important that it's integrated in the curriculum. So it's not just something that you do at the end of the day, but maybe maybe you do it multiple times a day, right? We also encourage the teachers to engage in a lot of self-care and practice the different mindfulness things for themselves and also understanding how trauma affects them. Because as educators, sometimes we're so focused on working on dealing with what's going on with our students that we forget that we're human too, right? And we need to pay attention to what our triggers are. We need to pay attention to whether or not we're getting burnt out. We have to pay attention to to know when we need to ask for help, Um, whether it's something that's a personal thing or whether it's a professional thing. We just have to we were just helping our schools get into the mind frame that it's not just focusing on the students, they're important, but also the administrators and the teachers are important as well, that they're doing well so that they'll be able to help the students. So those are just um, just a rundown of the things that we did pre-COVID, what we continue to do. My um, program is also a part of the summerizing program. program. Um, some, some schools were open this summer, um, for a couple of weeks, and we were in there. I was in my schools that I was assigned to doing classroom push-ins, um, working and collaborating with school counselors, working and collaborating with after-school programs as well. And that was new. We usually work with school staff only, but this time we actually went with us our community-based organization partners. And that was something that was new, and it was great. We pushed in either in after-school or in the classroom during the academic portion of the grade. So, um, yeah, so we did a lot, um, and it was, um, a challenge, but the fact that we collaborated and the office of school Health was not doing it on our own and the schools really stepped up, um, and did their part in, you know, in supporting our program and also supporting the students as well.
0: That's huge. That's huge. I mean, you mentioned so many things there and, you know, the term mindfulness is something I wrote in my book also, and I had never really experienced it until, I'll say for my board exam and someone recommended, oh, why try mindfulness and see what's going on. And you know, learning about it and you seeing the the benefits to it, you know, I I, I found myself really appreciating uh, that that sense of calm and that sense of quiet that you can really apply when you need it. And I thought about myself in terms of physical therapy and you know, you know, as therapists and as any any profession, you get into your thing and you take care of yourself, right? Or you take care of others, but you really take care of yourself. Um, I don't see a physical therapist for myself. I take care of myself because I, I can. And I'm always curious if social workers, what they do, right? Because you you spend so much time taking care of others. What do social workers do when it comes to their own self-care? Like who does a social worker go to when they need that outlet to, to deal with what they're going through? And when the tax that they're, they're sharing with others, when they can't always use those for themselves, what do they do? What are some of the techniques that you guys use just to make sure your own mental health is intact?
1: Okay, so this can be a challenge. I'm gonna be totally honest with you. Even though you have the information, it's one thing to have the information and it's one thing to implement it, right? So I think that um, we all have to come from a place of, uh, from a perspective that we're all human, right? So even though we're humans that engage in very meaningful work, we're still human. So social workers pretty much have to find out, you know, do an inventory for themselves to see what works. For some social workers, they actually engage in therapy, right? Um, that's, to me, that's good clinical practice, especially if you're doing clinical work. Um, I've engaged in therapy. Um, I continue to engage in therapy because I do um, work that impacts on my emotions and it can impact on my functioning if it is that I don't take time to unpack right? So I do, I engage in therapy personally. Other social workers may not be on the work that you do, and other social workers absolutely do go to therapy as well. Um, knowing when to take a break, because sometimes in clinical work, I remember working at the outpatient mental health clinic where the, we saw clients back to back, and it was specifically because we saw kids after school. We had to fit in a certain amount of students know because we can't see them when they're supposed to be in school so that became a much of a challenge but as i became seasoned in my career i realized um that it's important to utilize groups when appropriate and trying to figure out um when i'm going to actually take a lunch right so actually penciling in that time and letting other people around me know that i'm out to lunch (laughs) like i'm not available for at least an hour, right? So that's something that, I've, that I did personally um, intentionally, um, letting people know around me that I was out for lunch, making sure that I um, utilized groups so that i would be able to balance my case with a little bit better, mm-hmm. um, making sure that I process my feelings with people that are, were going through the same exact thing. I had a really close relationships with the people that I worked with. One person was a psychologist, the other person was a social worker both helping professionals, they understood what I was going through. So taking time to speak to them, um, evaluating self-care practices. Sometimes things work in one season and they absolutely don't in another, right? Um, So just trying to figure out what works for you and what doesn't um, and increasing self-care practices if needed, right? Um, Making sure that you're not just doing physical self-care but you're also doing psychological, you're doing spiritual, um, just in every category. And and I know that we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that later on, but just thinking about the different categories that you can do self-care in and trying to do at least one thing within that, um, those categories, right? Um, so those are the things I think that social workers can do. I know I spoke a lot from my own personal experience, but there's a, um, we talk about self-care very early in our careers because it's an occupational hazard that and burnout um, and compassion fatigue um, you know hearing people's stories and wanting to help is, is something that some people really have a knack for but over time that can become heavy um, especially if you're dealing with, with, with clients that are traumatized um, and the thing about it is because we went through this collective, collective trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic, where losses weren't just losses in terms of like losing family members, but we lost so much during the pandemic that, that those um, 12 months or 18 months, and we're still in the, t- we're, we're in the tail end of it, hopefully, because now there's a lot of talk about what's gonna happen with the Delta variant and all of that. So now we're working with clients that, that everyone has experiences some level of trauma at this point, right? Um, some people react differently. Some people had more trauma than others. Um, so we just have to be mindful that going in and working with clients, social workers have to be very intentional about their self-care because everyone that they encounter, there's a likelihood that they would have some kind of traumatic experience. When I first got trained, um, when they talked a lot about self-care and, and engaging in that, They were talking specifically, and this is just my understanding of it, if it is that you do work with clients that have serious traumatic experiences, um, like sexual assault um, survivors, um, people who maybe went through some difficulty in terms of like um, physical altercation that they had, like real serious, serious, serious trauma that you yourself need to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. But now, as I've gone in my career, I'm realizing that everybody at some point in their life must have had some level of trauma. And sometimes when you're in therapy with clients, it might be triggered, right? You're talking to them about something that happened when they were like a young person. And then all of a sudden they start unearthing all the stuff that they start to remember because they're triggered by it right? And we have to be in a place where we're able to hold space for them. But if it is that we're not okay, then you can't hold space. If if it is that you don't know your triggers, you might even be triggered by the conversation, right? So just being mindful of doing a lot of self-evaluating work when it comes to what works and what doesn't work for you in terms of self-care, um, but yes, we can't, everyone, I think that everyone should actually be working from a trauma-informed perspective right now, um, because of the collective trauma that we've experienced as a, a world, not even a country, um, a world.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. You you mentioned compassion fatigue and I never even thought about that being a thing, but I, I, I do recognize that that could definitely be a thing. And, um, You know, I I think a lot of healthcare professionals are in that same boat where they, yes, they're compassionate towards their patients or their clientele. But after a while, you're just like, all right, I, you know, there's some days where I'm treating patients. I'm like, okay, well, what hurts now? What? (laughs) Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll go away tomorrow. Let's see how tomorrow goes. And you just get, you kind of get jaded. In terms of, of the compassion you're showing towards certain people, and especially if you're seeing volumes of people, if you're just seeing, you know, people day to day to day without having a chance for yourself to reset. So that compassion fatigue is real. I can definitely see that being, being a thing. And I think that what you shared is, is poignant because, yes, as healthcare professionals, we all need to make sure we take care of ourselves. Like you said in your core earlier, you can't really pour into somebody else if your cup is empty you got to have a full cup for yourself before you can help anybody else. So those are all great tips. I, I do want to we're talking about it now. Let's just talk about it. You know, you wrote a chapter in my book, um, which I truly appreciate so greatly, um, about self-care. And you put a lot of nuggets in there. And I want you to share with the listeners what some of those things were in case they haven't gotten a chance to read the book. Because I think those tips are very, very um, imperative at this time for us to take care of ourselves mentally. And when it comes to self-care, so do you mind sharing some of those self-care tips you shared in the book with the listeners right now?
1: No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm open to sharing. Uh, I just wanted to share the categories of self-care first, and I also want to say a disclaimer that if you do do re- research around self-care, there might the, the categories may um, sound a little bit different, but I was actually um, sharing the categories. Categories, um, from an assessment, a self-care assessment tool that I use in my practice. And I felt that it was really helpful to break down the different categories in this way. But if you do, do you can do your own research as well and to figure out the different categories. But I just want to share the categories first before I share the tips. So the first category, of course, is physical self-care. And we all know this one. It's um, when we focus on the physical activities or the activities to so replenish our bodies. Right. To make sure that our bodies are nice and healthy. So getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, exercise, um, just taking care of your body physically, physically. So psychological self-care are those activities that help us to be aware of our thoughts, our thoughts, feelings and behaviors are closely related. So we have to make time to check in with ourselves around what we're thinking about and how it's impacting our behavior. Okay, So making time for self-reflection, um, looking inside your know, feelings or attitudes about certain things. Journaling is a great way actually to um, engage in psychological um, self-care. Um, professional self-care. Um, I talked about um, it a little bit before when I was talking about the things that I did when I worked in an outpatient mental health clinic. Clinic. So it's those professional activities that you do within the workplace to make sure that you continue to feel happy about the job that you're doing and you don't get burnt out, right? So setting boundaries with coworkers and with, um, with bosses as well around what you can and can't do. Um, I know that during the pandemic, that was a big challenge for people because working from home was a little bit different. Um, So that might've been a little bit challenging for some people to kind of like turn off the work and like turn on the family stuff. So um, setting boundaries around when you're going to take lunch, um, making sure that you're able to take a break during the day. No one should work through the day without taking a break, at least for lunch, at least 30 minutes to an hour, right? Even if you break it up during the day, um, making sure that you're making choices that you're comfortable with in your career. You spend most of your time with your coworkers. If you're not happy with your career, you gotta try to figure out something else um, where you can, that can bring you joy and you can still engage in meaningful work. Um, Emotional self-care. So this self-care category helps you be more aware of your emotions um, because if we don't, if we're not aware of the emotions that we're having, like how are we gonna deal with them, right? So some of the ways to engage in emotional self-care is to use affirmation or positive self-talk, allowing yourself to cry sometimes if you need to, um, identifying and seeking out comforting people and places that help you deal appropriately with your emotions. Um, Then we have relationship self-care, right? We're all social beings and we have to avoid toxic people, places and things, right? Because if it is that we continue to engage in toxic spaces, we would find ourselves retreating and we're social beings. We should not be retreating and being by ourselves all the time, even though I am an introvert, right? And some people are introverted and they tend to be, they're okay with spending a lot of time by themselves, but eventually you should be connected with some community, whether it's family or friends. Um, I know some people have traumatic experiences with family and they may not be as close to family, but they're friends that become family right? So that, you know, you should try to figure out a circle of people that you care about and engaging in those relationships that bring us joy. Um, also setting boundaries and implementing boundaries with family and friends as well. Sometimes you have to do that. It's not easy. Um, and spending good uh, time with people that you have positive relationships with, right? So that you're able to get advice from them, and you'd be able to Um, hear their perspective on things. You can hear, um, they can pour into you and you can pour into them. So, and the last category is spiritual self-care. Now, of course, this is a category that's that's specifically to the maintenance of our spiritual life. So prayer, meditation, Bible study, listening to um, motivational YouTube videos, all these things, um, and engaging, even like spiritual journaling as well as you're doing your Bible studying, right? So, those are the categories um, that I talked about in the chapter of the book. And these are some of the tips that I shared, right? So I mentioned that self-care is not selfish. Um, and I referred to that saying that we can't pour from an empty cup. So it's not about you being selfish. It's actually you taking care of yourself so that you can be the best person that you can be. So that it's not selfish. Um, I mentioned checking in before you check out. Because if we get into a place where we're burnt out around life, it's easy to kind of slip into depression, right? And we have to find ways where we could take periodic inventories. A lot of times people do this like at the beginning of the year, when they talk about the things that they wanna change in terms of like, you know, these are my resolutions or these are my intentions for the year. But we should actually be checking in with ourselves more than just at the beginning of the year or at the middle of the year. We should make this um, a priority um, to spend time checking in um, to make sure that we are figuring out our routines, our morning and evening routines, our daily routines, whether or not they're helpful or not and what you need to change about them. Um, Having solid morning and evening routines are very grounding. And I know for me, it's very helpful, um, but as you're checking in with yourself, you you kind of figure out, well, maybe this works better for me in the morning and this works better for me in the afternoon. Right. So just figuring out what works for you and what doesn't and give, and being comfortable with giving yourself what you need. A lot of times we might be concerned about what other people think, like, Oh, why is she always like choosing herself? Because you love yourself. Right. So, because it's it's really connected to self-love. Not that you don't love other people. You just have to make sure that you're putting yourself first because If you don't know how to love yourself, then other people are going to have a hard time loving you because you're supposed to actually tell people how to treat you, how to, you know, make you feel loved, right? So if you don't know that for yourself, then that that, that can be a challenge. And getting into the mindset that you deserve good things. Everybody deserves good things, you know? Um, And nothing's wrong with creating positive experiences for yourself um, and also working on getting rid of things that just don't work for you. People, practices, just figuring that out. And the law of little things. The little things that you do can have a big impact. Sometimes we're thinking, oh, it's just me listening to an audiobook for an hour. Yeah, but if you're doing that over a week or over two months or over time, it may really enlighten you to a place where you feel joy. Right. So just figuring out the little things that you could do to make your life a little bit happier and you can make yourself be loved. Right. And as with any journey, sometimes there might be hiccups. <laughs> One week you might be really good at doing something, and then the next week, not so much. But I would just say practice a lot of self compassion. Mm. We have to be mindful that we may not be great all the time. But little steps to greatness can make a big impact. So even if you fall off a little bit, just jump right back on again. The next day, there's always a next day. So just be gentle with yourself Um, and comfortable with imperfection because nobody's perfect.
0: Yeah, listen, those are all nuggets, nuggets, folks. And that's why I had to write the chapter for the book because I think all those things are right in line with what Be More Today is and talks about steps to greatness, baby steps every single day, taking the little steps you need to, better yourself, to improve whatever you're trying to improve, whether it's personal, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, whatever it is, they all take steps. I think we get sometimes lost in trying to see big picture, or I guess small picture, trying to make sure it happens today. But big picture is it takes steps. It takes progress. It takes process. And trusting the process is the hard part. So I appreciate you for sharing all those tidbits, Ketha. And, you know, I know that, We're running the marathon this year, you and I, and it's gonna be an exciting time. the 50th anniversary of the marathon, 5-0. It didn't happen last year, it's happening this year. And you mentioned that self-care for you is this running thing. Um, So now being someone who hasn't labeled themselves as as a runner, but now using this marathon as a form of self-care, how has this changed your life, made you feel different? And how does it fit into your categories of of self-care?
1: Okay, so I want to start with um, you mentioned it in my bio about me having a like love relationship with running. Um, I went from a love hate relationship to a love like a like love relationship with running. Um, I was not a runner. Um, I was a college athlete. I actually fenced for three years in college, and after that, I kind of just fell off the bandwagon with being um, active. I mean, I walk a lot, but in terms of being a part of a collective. Um, doing physical work um, and working out, um, I wasn't doing that. One one year, I went to the doctor, and usually I'm fine. I, I'm 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 healthy. I'm good. I went to the doctor, and the doctor mentioned that I had some issues with my A1C levels. And um, my family, there's a family, there's a family history of diabetes. Um, and one particular family member actually has to take insulin, right? So I, as soon as he said A1C, I was like, wait a minute. And then he told me I was too young for this and I need to get this under control because of course he was not going to put me on medication and I need to do diet and exercise. And that's very important. So that was a little bit of a wake up call for me. Um, So I started coming to the group. I think one of my friends mentioned it to me and I was like, Sunday mornings, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a challenge. But once I started going, I mean, squatting Sundays, Great. So I think that self care, the self-care categories that they fall under, running falls under for me is physical and also relationship, right? Um, so with the physical piece, of course, um, running helps me um, keep my body temple not only in shape, but healthy as well, um, making sure that I stay within a healthy weight. Um, it helps me keep my, make meet my fitness goals as well, because I do have some goals, like a certain amount of races that I want to do per year, um, this year it's really increasing my speed so that I could finish the marathon in a good timing. So every year I kind of have some level of fitness goals, um, but it's just a community of, of Spartan Sundays. Um, you got you and Ish do such a great job with creating community there. Um, coming in, I felt like I was welcome whether or not I was slow or not, because there's some athletes, like really strong athletes in Spartan Sundays. And then there's some people that are looking just to level up their fitness goals, right? So I just felt like you guys created a space where everyone could feel welcome. Um, There was always like some um, challenges, which are, are very helpful for me so that I I know that I'm working towards something. Also when we joined Strava during um, the, uh, well, I I believe it was during the pandemic or a little bit before we were on Strava and that was super helpful. Like seeing what other people were doing um, was really helpful, us connecting virtually. So all that kind of helps like enhance my relationships that I have with um, the people that I do attend church with. Um, I've been going to my church for a very long time um, but Spartan, I've been a part of the Spartan ministry for a long time as well. It's because I just feel really um, welcomed there. And I just feel like you guys have our best interests in mind and you do everything that you can to coach us to the finish. And I just feel like that really helps. And also being around other people that are trying to meet their fitness goals and encouraging them along the way. Like that, that really helps me as well. Like just the conversations that we can have as we're doing races or, you know, encouraging someone else to sign up and be like, oh, I'm going to stick with you until you're done. So, you know, and I, I just feel like the, 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 the whole community is something that I find super helpful. And that's why it's in the category of self-care because I engage in it regularly. Like I, I try as, as, as much as I can. To, to go out to run, wedding, you know, the weather permitting. Um, some days I get up and I'm not able to, honestly, but in terms of my mindset, sometimes I get up and I like put the clothes out. So I'm like, okay, I check the weather, my clothes is out, my shoes are laid out. All I gotta do is put my stuff on and go. And that works for me. And then of course, putting it on Strava and then everybody giving you a thumbs up. Um, and just the collective, um, sense of greatness. I, I feel like um, everyone can be an athlete. You could kind of, you have to put your mind to everything that, and and you could get it done. Because I think that when I started out, I didn't even think I could run a five game. <laughs> like, I, was, I would struggle through that. But now I run, walk, and I get it done. And I've done half marathons as well. So I'm a little bit nervous about the marathon, but I'm pressing forward. Um, and I know that my team It's a large group this year, and I know that it's going to be awesome because we're all going to be cheering each other on across that finish line. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's it. Shout out to Spartan Sundays, Ishmael Torres, your this group together. And, you know, the the Spartan Sunday Running Club and Beatmore today have together done so many great things. And, Keith, I'm just glad that your progress has been um, not just amazing, but just that you've appreciated it and that you're really embracing – all the greatness that you have. And I think the group does that. It, it does. It brings that out in everybody. Cause everybody is just pushing each other and it's fantastic. And it really just bodes well with the steps of greatness that be more has been talking about since day one. I mean, you've done challenges with us for new year's Eve and the BMT for BLM and, you know, all that stuff for it. You know, it's just putting out there greatness opportunities, for people to go out there and say, you know what, be great now. Now you can even be greater when you do this. And you step to the task every single time. So the task right now, my dear, is that as the 72nd person on this show, Be More Today is a phrase that everyone has, at some point in time, shared what it means to them. And you are the 72nd person on the show. Let me know what Be More Today means to you. I know you shared it a long time ago, but I want to hear it. what it means to you today. So keep in mind, when you hear the phrase Be More Today, what does that phrase mean to you?
1: Okay, so for me, Be More Today means intentionally taking steps, so setting measurable goals, setting intentions to be the best you could be in the present, not focusing about the past, not worrying about the future, just being your best self in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, big so. big time statement. In the moment is right. I think, you know, being more today is, is about now, you know, and, and that's where you really put the day in there, because tomorrow's not promised we've seen that with all that we've been through these last 24 18 months so it's really about making sure we can appreciate today and you know the the, the weird thing is i was looking at my facebook feed the other day and literally just going through you know everything has fees and everything i saw was like funeral service for this person is this day funeral service for this person is this day and just so much death and so much this and so much that it really just makes you really appreciate the ability to get up and do anything you want to do while you still can Absolutely. And, um, you know, if you're in healthcare at all and you, you see all the things that people go through in terms of trauma, people not being able to walk, people not being able or physically being able to go outside because mentally they have a block of trauma or fear or what have you. Um, there's no real excuse for us not to go out there and do these great feats or at least make these things great for our lives. Because if you have things in your right mind, right, you can breathe and eat and walk and talk and you have all your faculties right there, there's no real excuse for you not to go out there and, and do something, whether it's a 5K or writing a book or, you know, taking a trip or whatever the case is, you know, whatever your greatness is going to be, or whatever your self-care thing is going to be, there's no real excuse unless you have something that's going on. But if you don't, let's just use this time wisely, right? Let's use our self-care tips and let's go out there and, and just live life because as we've already seen from these last 24 months, life truly is not promised. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Um, Keith, you've been great. I really appreciate all you've done. Um, where can people find you, uh, connect with you on social media or otherwise?
1: Okay. So I actually, I am um, not. I don't have a social media presence for my professional self, only my personal self. But my one of my professional goals is to complete a doctorate in social work and then eventually going into private practice. Now, that those are my two professional goals um, as of, you know, like today, like just thinking in terms of where I want to move forward in my career. So once that happens, I feel like I will build out my, um, my social media presence. But for now, it's just uh, personal. Um, but I did want to share um, the New York City um, WELL helpline number in case anyone out there needs um, confidential crisis intervention referral services for mental health and substance abuse. Um, and it's it's strictly for New York City and it's the NYC WELL and it's 1-888-692-9355. And you can also text WELL to 65173. Um, so I just wanted to provide that out there for those of us that, are, that do live in New York City. Um, and you need someone to talk to or you need to talk a little bit about like referral services um, for a family member or for yourself you can definitely call and um, they would help you. It's 200 plus languages that's on this this line. So you can call and request a language and there would be an interpreter that would reach out to you to provide that level of referral. Um, Or even if you just want to talk to someone about something that you're going through, they're available.
0: Wow. That's great, Keith. I'm going to definitely add that to the show notes. If you will have the contact information as well, and they can, uh, call whenever they feel the uh, the need to and the want to. I thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great having you. And uh, I look forward to us crossing on the fence line together for the marathon in November.
1: Yes. And thank you so much, Sean, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. And folks, don't forget anything she said. Again, I quote from today, self-care is a practice of intentionally, consistently, and unapologetically engaging in enjoyable activities that help you manage stress and recharge your mind, body, and spirit. This is an act of self-love. Let's love ourselves. Let's not get caught up in the the mundane experience of work, 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 because that is something that can really drain us. Find the time. Make the time to go out there and make yourself a priority. Um, Again, like she said, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Let's go out there, Uh, whether you're on the front line and you're giving uh, empathy, empathy fatigue is your thing right now and you're giving so much of yourself or you just know that you need a break. Whether it's taking a vacation or taking a day off, putting the phone down, putting it on silent, turning the TV off, whatever you have to do, let's make sure we use this time wisely to take care of ourselves, that we don't see ourselves in that feed Um, until the time is right. And, you know, I appreciate Keith and all the social workers who are out there doing great stuff in terms of mental health and self-care. Um, let's continue to do that. And Be More we will continue to support all things related to mental health, self-care, health and wellness, fitness, and all things alike. So, folks, thank you so much for joining us for Episode 72 of this show. Um, again, you can follow us on BeMoreToday.com or my book, bemoresaybook.com for information about what we've done in the book. And I get her help, her... Self-care tips are also going to be in that chapter as well if you want to check it out. And, again, if you haven't supported us yet or go online, again, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate all you've done. And just continue to go out there, like I always say, be great. We're all ordinary people doing extraordinary things, so never take yourself for granted. Uh, appreciate the life that we have. And as I always say, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life, and continue to take your steps of greatness to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. Peace.